Have you had a busy week in the market? Not had time to catch up with the latest trends? Well, welcome to Cloud9Fin, our suite of podcasts where we bring you the need-to-know information on deals, documentation, ESG, and we deep dive into the themes showing up in the high-yield, leverage loans, and restructuring spaces. We also have our US podcast, which features discussions with members of the North American Levfin market with US editor Will Cager-Smith, so be sure to check in every second Thursday for that. I'm Catherine Hidalgo, a loans reporter at Ninefin, and I'll be your host for today when we'll be looking at Envision's dropout financing, new SFDR news, and breaking down the 2023-2024 maturity wall. We'll get to the covenant close-up soon, but first, the Levfin headlines from this week. Pharmaceuticals patent owner Chepler Farm withdrew a covenant waiver request for the acquisition of a US inhaler patent, which offered no consent fee to lenders. Embattled nursing home operator Orpair is expected to implement a debt restructuring through Sovergard Accelerae. Ineos's no-brainer refi proceeds, but Byside has raised capex and JV concerns. Genesis Care shareholders have waived the prepayment of its bridge loans while extending out maturities to November 2023 as it watches its EBITDA slim. Fedragoni issued a private placement offering its investment bank Goldman Sachs a novel short covering option and Nomad Foods has come to market with a significant discount on its USD refi loan. Finally, bids are due on Friday for a 117 million euro loan BWIC out of the redemption of Rothschild's Contigo 2 CLO. Next up, the Covenant close-up. Last May, KKR made headlines for kicking off a nefarious restructuring for medical staff provider Envision. The $7.5 billion debt pile needed restructuring after revenue had suffered dramatically from patients avoiding elective surgeries, mainly due to the coronavirus pandemic. But what was so troublesome about KKR in this context, and why are lenders now worried about the sponsor's actions on this deal on both sides of the pond? Ninefin's own senior legal analyst Alice Hollian spoke about this topic and many others on an Alpha seminar on recent covenant pushback points. These deals sort of feature this overarching theme of using, I guess, controversial methods to transfer value out of the restricted group and then raise sort of structurally and effectively senior debt capacity at that unrestricted um, subsidiary level. And so in this respect, it's sort of good to know how you as an investor could be primed and, and potentially even end up in a similar position to those, those creditors in Envision or, or J.Crew, etc. So firstly, J.Crew drop-down financings generally involve a sort of a transfer of assets away from the credit group. So generally to an unrestricted subsidiary where you are releasing security on those assets. So you don't have any reach on them anymore. And um, then secondly, you, they use these sort of unencumbered assets as credit support for the debt. Most importantly, debt incurred at this unrestricted subsidiary level is typically structurally and effectively senior to the existing debt because the creditors, A, no longer have security over the assets and B, there are no guarantees. And the unrestricted subsidiary is, you know, as I said, it's not, you know, it's not subject to any covenants anymore. It's free to do whatever it wants. And that includes raising um, the sort of debt. In Envision, this is exactly what happened. So the company used a combination of one drop-down financing. So it moved its most valuable asset, the AMSUG arm, away from existing creditors and then used that as collateral to then raise effectively senior debt. And then I think they, you know, they boosted liquidity with this and they partly also used this money to 
to buy debt at the Envision level at a steep discount. The second part was they used the up-tiering transaction part where they sort of made a series of debt repurchases and exchanges that gave certain creditors sort of priority over others and then pushed anyone who didn't consent to to participate to the bottom of the pile essentially and yeah you know this boosted liquidity it reduced total liabilities it pushed out any like sort of meaningful maturities and it hardly added that much debt so for Envision that was obviously a success but for the sort of existing creditors it clearly wasn't it's really not a stretch to say that KKR you know could do something similar with their portfolio companies in Europe and transactions like this are under discussion across multiple companies. So it's important to know how these transactions could be played out in, in Europe. It's worth noting here that that J.Crew trap door that you, you hear all the time, that provision is actually sort of very rare in Europe. But there can be sort of significant leakage through other means, which can then be used to raise structurally and effectively senior debt. So the crux of these types of manoeuvres is the potential to transfer assets or value to unrestricted subsidiaries via restricted payments and permitted investments capacity. So, you know, it's key here to look at restricted payments and permitted investments capacity. Next up, we have Please Raise Responsibly. I'm here with Sammy Cole, an ESG analyst. Thanks for being with us today, Sammy. No worries, happy to be here. Today we're going to be talking about SFDR. So you recently wrote a piece about it. Uh, is there any new news? The SFDR is already in place and some of the disclosures that companies have had to report on have already entered it back into force back in March 2021. But there are actually changes that are coming into force at the beginning of 2023 that will affect all financial institutions and market participants based in the EU. And so I basically wrote this piece to explain what the next mandatory disclosures will be, how to approach these these disclosures, because there is a lot of confusion at the moment based around what needs to be disclosed and how companies can be classified under different articles. And also the difficulty of the principal adverse impacts, which FMPs with over 500 employees will have to report on as well. Wonderful. So I understand there's a difference between three different types of funds. Yeah, of course. So basically, there are three different types of product classification. And all fund managers will have to will have to disclose that their fund is one of these types. So first of all, we have Article 6. These are products where ESG considerations are not integrated into the investment decision-making process at all. Fund managers have to explain where integration isn't relevant when products don't meet the criteria for Article 8 or Article 9. So the other articles are Article 8 and and Article 9. And Article 8 funds are funds that promote environmental and or social characteristics and portfolio companies should also have good governance processes. So here the implication is that ESG investing is not core to the products, but there are ESG characteristics. And these funds are also known as light green products. And then for Article 9, these are products that have sustainable investment as their main objective. And these are also known as dark green products. So ESG is core to these funds. And it's actually predicted that by 2025, 
half of Europe's mutual funds will adhere to SFDR's Article 8 and Article 9. Well, that's promising to hear. It's always nice to have a good bit of news. Uh, But what's the issue with Article 8? I've heard there's a problem there. Yeah, Ninefin often gets asked questions in relation to classifying funds into Article 8 and Article 9. The main difficulties are because the SFDR wasn't designed as a labelling system. It can be quite vague in its descriptions, and as a result, this can be quite a challenge for asset managers. Because Article 8 funds they just have to promote sustainable characteristics. The word promotion is very much up to interpretation. And some funds have literally just added an exclusion policy to their funds and then labelled it as an Article 8 fund. And the problem with this is it's becoming a bit of an all-encompassing category. And there's the issue of the fact that there's been a crackdown from the authorities for greenwashing. Uh, So, for example, DWS is under investigation after its former head of sustainability highlighted that it overstated how much it used sustainable investment criteria to manage its assets. So there's a real problem that fund managers marketing their funds as Article 8 may not actually use sustainable investment criteria in a robust enough way for it to be considered as an Article 8. So it's very important that fund managers are able to provide clear evidence showing how ESG factors are integrated. So Ninefin can actually help in your Article 8 and 9 classification process because we produce detailed and qualitative analysis on all new deals outlining the material ESG considerations for an issuer and its sector in a clear manner We also delve into a company's specific approach to ESG so that we can guide and inform fund managers' Article 8 and 9 classification process. Next up, we have the deep discussion, where we discuss a topic a little more deeply. Here with me today, I have Josh Latham, a credit analyst. Thanks for being with us today, Josh. Great, thanks for having me, Kat. And lovely Laura Thompson, a fellow loans reporter. Lovely to be here. So you've written this piece about the maturity wall in 2023 and 2024. Please do go on Ninefin to read that, listener. It's a corker. Uh, But Josh, tell us, how big is that wall? In the European high-yield bond market, there's about £97 ready to mature. And that's split between £36 in 2023 and around £60 in 2024. Now, because we've seen a few borrowers recently become a bit proactive with dealing with their debt stack. Some borrowers have been refinancing, we've seen A&E offers. So now we're starting to think, right, is it time that borrowers are going to take action, maybe join the front of the primary queue and look at refinancing options? If borrowers leave it too late, they might result in them having a stress refinancing or amend um, a extend request further down the line. If we pull back a bit and, and look at the refinancing wave which took place in the second half of 2020 and 2021, these borrowers timed it correctly. They found this is the perfect time to push back maturities and gave, gave them some much needed breathing space. However, those companies who didn't come to market at that point, now they are going to have to navigate through a much difficult market with obviously higher costs of capital. So talk to me about how these borrowers have been active recently. Yeah, so I guess it's not just refinancings. Interestingly, we've seen some borrowers take advantage of cheap secondary markets. A great example of that is Loxam, who've purchased some of their subordinated notes 
in, I think they were priced in the, around the mid-70s in the open market, while other companies such as SAPI and Aston Martin have announced some tender offers to sort of redeem early some of their notes. And then finally, well, there's been amended extend offer by Stada, well, gives them a, a, a much-needed breathing space. And interestingly, we've also seen sale and leaseback offers, uh, one being United Group, who basically monetized a portion of their mobile tower infrastructure in order to pay back their 24 uh, and 2025 maturities. I guess in stress scenarios, asset-heavy borrowers may also engage in sale and leaseback transaction to sort of provide extra cash. These issuers must be absolutely kicking themselves to have not taken advantage of last year's pricing. What types of credits still have maturities in next year and the year after? Yeah, so in in the report, we sort of broke it down by uh, security type, so borrowers with secured and unsecured debt, uh, but also by industry. And I guess it's important to look at the more cyclical in, in, uh, industries, as those borrowers might be in more stress scenarios um, in the coming 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 years. Um, and obviously. Um, if the recession rumours continue, um, a sort of recession premium will will begin to build up um, on those refinancings. So if, if we look at the automotives or, or sort of consumer discretionary industry, uh, Jaguar Land Rover is a prime example. They have about two billion of upcoming maturities, and you'll find that some of their notes are trading with a nine percent, around nine percent yield to maturity compared to the. Three to four percent that their, their current notes hold. Um, yeah, they, they can expect a costly refinancing. If we're sticking with the automotive trend, uh, Adler Peltzer also have a four hundred twenty-five million secured notes maturing in April twenty twenty-four. I'm actually doing a bit of work at the minute looking at this uh, structure to see how are they going to refinance these notes. The current yield to worse on on these are actually twenty-three point five percent. So it's showing how challenging the the current interest rate environment is. I think maybe an interesting one um, is related to the INEOS deal that's in market at the moment. That's a you know double B name, market familiar, pretty strong, stable, despite the cyclical market that it operates in. It's got three billion in maturities coming in 2024, but even that kind of company knows it won't face um, the appetite from lenders to get three billion done. So it's just chipping away at the moment with those two smaller USD and Euro loans to try and start churning through upcoming maturities rather than maybe last year where it could have come with the full 3 billion, 2 billion. It knows now it has to shrink that. There's just isn't the depth of the market now. Laura, you've been speaking about this with market sources. What are their thoughts? Well, yeah, speaking to um, to the buy side, to the sell side, their views really do chime with, with what Josh's analysis showed that it's a semi-fortunate uh, situation where there isn't too big of a maturity war coming up in that 2023-2024 slice of time. Um, and that what is upcoming is likely to be A&E out, that there's a lot of appetite amongst lenders to A&E out um, maturities that are coming up. You know, we're in a situation where you know, people say 90 is the new par, 80 is the new 90. Lenders don't want these loans maturing at such a discount from par when it's often a macro pressure that's forcing those those values down rather than any issue with the credit itself. So they have every incentive to, to push out maturities. Um, so there's a lot of hope amongst uh, lenders and issuers that 
these maturities can be dealt with. Josh, you also wrote in the piece about sterling tranches that have to be refinanced soon. What are the issues that face those deals? Yeah, I guess I guess that part of the report, um, the title was "Sucks to be Sterling." So um, we found that about six billion of upcoming sterling denominated notes are set to mature in 2023 and 2024. Now, I think everyone knows that sterling-backed issuance has had a tough year. I think we've only seen about 3.9 billion in European high yield, and the majority of that was actually privately placed by Morrison's. Whether these um, sterling-backed borrowers are able to come to market, obviously with the volatility of the pound, coupled with the liquidity risk, it's obviously a, a, a huge problem, and it may deter borrowers from refinancing with, um, with sterling. I guess an option for them is is the US market, um, which has probably performed, I mean, you could say it's performed better in recent times and may prove to be a bit more reliable. Better if, you, if you've got operations in the US. One example is Saga. They have 250 mil of sterling notes set to mature in May 2024. And, and following from what Laura said, the insurance company may, may find uh, amend extend uh, is an efficient way to push back maturities whilst holding on to a lower cost of debt um, in the short term. And that's all we have time for this week. And if you do want to read more about some of these situations, head to ninefin.com insights, where you can see some of our content in front of the paywall, or you can drop us an email at team at ninefin.com. We're always keen to hear your suggestions for topic ideas, your comments on our discussions, and your feedback on the platform. If you like this podcast, don't forget to like and share it. Tune in for the US edition next week. I'll be back the week after. And in the meantime, don't forget to subscribe on Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music and Google Podcasts.